Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Some people were made to follow the instructions. We were made to make our own. To always measure twice and never cut corners. Unless, of course, we've got a compound miter saw. Northern Tool and Equipment is a problem solver's paradise. There's nothing we can't find, fix, or figure out together. We're made for this. Start solving your projects today at northerntool.com. All right, we're back. It's another Carolina podcast. The off-season never sleeps. I've made this joke many times now, and it's not even funny anymore because of how true it is, but the off-season now for South Carolina, just for the South Carolina football team, has been way more eventful than pretty much anything in the regular season other than maybe that Georgia week or the week after. It's the, the never-ending off-season, too, I feel like. Yeah. Like oh, there's, you know, normally the off-season, obviously it would still be the off-season right now, but normally there's a settling-in point, I feel like, that comes after signing day and, you know, goes until maybe spring practice starts. Nothing's settled in yet. No. <laughs> Carolina's two weeks away from spring practice. We're going to have a little preview of spring at some point in the next couple of weeks because that starts on February 26th. So what is that? Oh, that's two weeks from today. So I guess we'll do that next week. But South Carolina still has to figure out who the coaches are going to be for that spring practice. They, they, I think they have more certainty about what players are going to be there than what coaches are going to be there. And it's crazy. Now, the first wave of that was obviously South Carolina and Will Muschamp making some decisions to move on from some guys. And that makes sense. That happens at the end of the season. And that's usually good news for South Carolina because that is theoretically a move that happens for the right reasons. Guys moving in the, in the right direction. This last exodus of coaches has been of the other variety. South Carolina didn't want John Scott Jr. and Thomas Brown and potentially Brian McClendon to leave. And here we are. And Matt Lindsay from the Director of Player Personnel. Personnel. Yep. Director of Player Personnel. Nailed it. Got it. Oh my gosh. I should have just said that more confidently because now everybody knows I have no idea what that position is. But we'll get into that. But for Carolina, it's a weird position where these guys are by and large leaving for better jobs, which is, I guess, a little bit of an indictment on South Carolina, but also there's no world in which the South Carolina job is ever going to be better than the Rams in the case of Thomas Brown or the Steelers potentially for Brian McClendon. Uh, that's not official yet. But before we get into the specifics of those guys moving on, they're tab replacements or potential replacements in the case of the running back coach and wide receiver coach, if that does become available. How concerning is this actually for the state of South Carolina football? It's a good question. Um, you know, big picture, it it, it doesn't look good outside perception when you just see, oh, this guy's leaving, this guy's leaving, this guy's leaving. Um, long-term and short-term, you know, I think if we're being honest, the the toughest guy to replace there is um, is Thomas Brown because I think you have at that position your your running backs coach has to be able to recruit um, in like modern day structure of a staff um, your D line coach can be more of like a teacher developer your O line coach has to be able to develop um, your OC and your DC have to be sharp. Um, 
you know, X's and O's, uh, development type guys. And if any of those positions, the guy can also be an above average recruiter, that's like bonus, I think. Well, the thing with TB, I believe, is that he's a, an elite recruiter. Um, like, we've seen that. South Carolina just traditionally has not gone outside of its general recruiting area and landed five-star guys like Marshawn Lloyd. That, that is, that's impressive, and it's not just talk. It is a tangible result. And even within the recruiting area, it's not like they have a laundry list of five-star guys, especially it, guys from Georgia's backyard. It, exactly. Um, so I, I think you look, and um, they go get Marshawn Lloyd and you know completely revamps the running back room. Well, on top of that, from everything you hear about Thomas Brown, He's a great to elite coach at the running back position as well, which, you know, a lot of the running back position is go get a really talented guy and then turn him loose. But there are coaching aspects to that. So there, to me, there's very few guys that just match that um, combination of recruiting, um, on-field ability, that resume, has a great resume from both, hey, I can point to all these dudes I've coached that were studs in college and went on to the NFL – and, hey, guess what? I played SEC football myself. Um, great combination there. It's tough to replace. We'll talk about some of the guys who could replace him later on, I'm sure. Uh, you look at the other guys, if you start to sort of break it down, and, and again, a chance to go to the Rams and coach NFL ball. Um, these college guys— And coach someone that you already coached in Todd Gurley. Um, yeah, and I I don't— Did, did they directly overlap? I, I don't think they actually did. I thought they had a Georgia. year. I, I guess um, I could be wrong on that. I'll double but, check. Uh, yeah, and, I, and I, I'm talking, you know, I, I don't know that they did. But but I, I can tell you this. From what I have heard, um, the Rams talked to BMAC. Because, you know, BMAC has a running backs coach uh, background as well. I believe BMAC coached Gurley at Georgia. That's correct. And the Rams, um, I believe two years ago, contacted BMAC about the job, and um, so they, they've wanted to go this Georgia connection with that position to try and get the most out of Todd Gurley, and BMAC at that point was about to get the primary play caller job at South Carolina, stuck around, so they go to the direction of TB, and the, the thing about being an NFL coach, you don't have to be on the road recruiting all the time, and once you're a coach for, and I don't know the exact number of years, once you're like vested in the NFL program to where you're going to draw retirement as a coach, which is a very short window of time you have to be a coach before you can draw some type of pension, you're like you're set. Like it is one of the best jobs in America. Forget just in sports, but just broad spectrum. One of the best jobs you can possibly get. So when these college guys have a chance to jump and you're at a, you know, a pretty good franchise that has a lot of young talent that um, could really be set for a long time. You're able to coach a guy like Ty Gurley. One of the hottest young head coaches in all of football. And by the way, I did just look, and you're right, they just missed each other. Ty Gurley's last year was 2014. Thomas Brown's first year was 2015. Yeah, so not direct on field, but there's obviously a connection there. So, you know, that, that's the one. It's a, it's a big loss for South Carolina, but if you look at the reasons why, he's not leaving South Carolina to just go coach anywhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the... I, I think John Scott Jr. did a, a solid job with guys. Um, that said, you know, the more you hear there about sort of how that went down and, uh, you know, some other thoughts on, on him, and then you look at who they replaced him with, Tracy Rocker, I, I think that actually 
personally ends up being an upgrade, you know, for South Carolina. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, you get to the other position, Matt Lindsay from everybody you talked to did an outstanding job with, with that spot. It's not, but it's not really like a public job, you know, we'll, we'll talk about that more later if, as well. If but, it weren't attached or happening in the same weekend as Thomas Brown and John Scott, it would have been a footnote. We wouldn't have been leading the podcast with it. It would have been either somewhere in the middle or at the end, which is not to say that it's not important, but yeah. it's one of those things where if you're a South Carolina fan and you're, you know, boohooing, woe is me, woe is the program, you know, the exodus of these coaches, you're throwing Matt Lindsay in there and it's like, okay, most people listening to this, even listening to this podcast, and I feel like most people that listen to this podcast are pretty diehard and know more than your average fan about mm. Carolina football, probably still didn't know who Matt Lindsay was, which is fine. That's Again, that's not a slight to him. That's not a slight to you if you didn't know who Matt Lindsay is. It's just, it, it's one of those things that makes it feel a little bit more like a snowball. And that's why, you know, to your point about the optics, and this is what's been complicated for me, the optics are bad unequivocally when you lose that many coaches and in this kind of fashion and I don't know how much y'all know or are at liberty to say about John Scott's exodus which I have heard was somewhat unceremonious you know, maybe <laughs> maybe not Good as word. maybe not as uh, pleasant or amicable as some of the other departures that South Carolina's had to I think that is do with an outstanding staff. way to put it okay all right yeah. cool I'll, well I'll just leave it at that unless you want to add any color commentary but the point is it doesn't look good but if you're going from John Scott to Tracy Rocker, that's at least not a downgrade. You don't hold it against Thomas Brown again going to the Rams. People think about Thomas Brown as a great recruiter, and I think that is one of his most valuable assets, or was in this last year for South Carolina. I think it was y'all's, what, parent site? Is that what I call Rivals? Sure. Rivals named him one of the top 25 recruiters in the country, and as you mentioned, you don't do any recruiting in the NFL, so... The Rams thought enough of him as a coach, as a mm. developer, that it was worth adding him to the staff. Like, you don't just go to the NFL because you're a great recruiter. You have to really be a good football coach. Uh, Brian McClendon, you know, remains to be seen. But if you have an opportunity to go to the Steelers, and also to your point about him having a background with the running game, I think that would be that would be one of, I've been reading some Steelers stuff lately, which I don't normally do. But apparently, uh, Brian McClendon <laughs> would, would also be there to sort of be the running game coordinator as they look to revamp that. So, it looks bad. It probably is bad, and maybe this does mean that Will Muschamp has lost the locker room, has lost the coaches' room, has you know lost the confidence of all these people, or maybe it's just bad timing because all these are really good opportunities. And also for John Scott, he's going to Penn State to play for the guy that coached him in college. Like that's a really cool opportunity, and he's making more money. Yeah, I think if like if these people were all going, look, there there might not have been as many departures if say South Carolina had you know just pulled something out of that like won the SEC last year. Yeah, yeah, I mean won the SEC and all these different types of things. But it's not like you guys can remember, like, back earlier in the Steve Spurrier era, like, the administration wouldn't pay coaches, wouldn't do multi-year deals. And so it became difficult to keep quality coaches in some circumstances. Um, That doesn't really happen now. Uh, If anything, you could argue that sometimes these coaches um, have gotten overpaid you know, or, or maybe you look back at it, you know, with, with the benefit of hindsight and you say, okay, well, Dan Werner, you know, I'm just picking him. I'm not trying to pick on him, but, you know, he, he could have went and been the OC for Matt Luke, you know, the year before last or whatever it was. Um, but South Carolina up the ante, paid him, paid him, what, $700,000 to be a quarterback's coach. That's a lot of money. All right. And so, and he's not even a coordinator. I mean, he's involved in the offense. So, you know, they have, you know, a million-dollar-plus defensive coordinator. They've got a million-dollar-plus coordinator in Brian McClendon, who's now just the receivers coach because of the changes. So 
you, you certainly couldn't argue that South Carolina won't pony up for coaches. So I think it's just a combination of all those things. Now, the stability factor does play into it because back in December, all right, the season had gone bad, 4-8. and eight. Then you got Bob Caslin publicly making it known. Bobby. That, <laughs> that Will Muschamp was, whatever his intention was or wasn't, it placed Will Muschamp in the crosshairs of, this situation's sort of rough, and everybody in that football building was going, man, you know, this is this is tough. Are we going to be able to survive this, et cetera? And so there was a concern at that time about is there going to be an exodus of coaches, and it would have been understandable. not Maybe not even just because of the season. That played into it because you go, okay, four and eight in year four, that's not very good. But then you've got a very public figure with power at the, at the university – to say the least, <laughs> saying, you know, yeah, he's the coach for now or mm-hmm. whatever, you know, however you want to couch it. And so that in a coach's mind, you're going, OK, how can we get more stable? So when you look at. A yeah, situation, you have the option. You're like, if yeah. I'm going to be looking for a job because my head coach loses his job in a year or I can look for my own job, you know, basically find the best thing for me rather than having to scramble for a job yeah. next year. You, you can't blame anybody. So so Matt Lindsay goes to Ole Miss and works for Lane Kiffin, he's going to get four years or so, you would think at a minimum, to help turn that around, maybe less, but three or four years, so you're sort of restarting your clock. It's not like Matt Lindsay was unhappy here, but you get that, you get a better title, and I don't know about the pay, but maybe it's better, maybe it's similar, whatever. Uh, I've heard it will be. I don't know. Yeah, right, that's it probably really will confirmed. be. I mean, yeah, but, and they're going to call him the general manager, right, yeah, which is easier to remember than director of player personnel. And it's an upgraded position, supposedly. Right, and you get a deal where, I mean, Matt Lindsay's a guy who's, you know, he, he spent time with the Philadelphia Eagles as a director of scouting, and so for someone that has general manager in the NFL aspirations, that makes a lot of sense, and quite frankly, it would make sense even if South Carolina was really good as a program right now. You would look at that and I'd go, okay, I understand that. John Scott Jr., same thing. He gets a raise. He gets a multi-year deal. Um, he's working for a guy that he played for in Brent Pry at Western Carolina, and he GA'd for in the past. So that makes sense. And then Thomas Brown, he may have bolted to the Rams even if South Carolina had won the national title last year because he's had a you know because it's he, the freaking Rams. <laughs> if he would have if he would have moved to if he would have said you know what guys I'm going to go take the Western Michigan the Western Michigan job. running backs coach job you go yeah. there's something wrong with this mm-hmm. picture he just got a raise. You know, is the stability here great? No, but he gets to go to the NFL. That's I was told it was l- unlikely he would have left for another job except for the NFL, and so he got that opportunity. You know, I mean, we saw Marion Hobby at Clemson, for example, just to use a local example. Wasn't it after the national title he went to the NFL because he liked the NFL? Uh, some guy for some guys, it, it, if you get into the NFL, it can be even a better lifestyle. Even though that's sort of a grind, and all you're doing, you're all football all the time here, or in college football at some places, it's it's football and it's recruiting and it's all these other different There's things. There's so much travel with the recruiting, travel, yeah, and, and time. And now some guys in the NFL, I've heard of some head coaches in the NFL of, you're there early in the morning, and you're out at midnight, like every day, but most of the time not. So. All the moves, the point is, I think all the moves are understandable, even if things were going pretty well. But that I think that did, for some guys, play into it. So I, I have a follow-up, but I want to go off on a tangent here. Because I texted y'all last week, and I said, because you mentioned Bobby C., which is what made me think of this. I did not tell y'all my Bobby C. story, did I? That's Bob Castle. No, 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 you did. So y'all remember 
<laughs> statement. Oh, game. your mom told me the. Did she tell you the story? Yes. See, I don't think well, I heard okay, it. Okay, okay. So I was sitting here thinking about, wait, a Bobby Carroll story. What? No, uh, no, 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 hey, man. <laughs> okay, so yeah, so she told me that she told y'all, and so that's why I texted you, and I was like, did I, did my mom tell you the Bob Caslin story? Because y'all got to meet my mom last week at at uh, the signing day at Hammond thing, and one of you said, I guess you said no, but yeah. Well, okay, so you heard the story. So this is great. So statement gate, and we talked about this last week too, and I had some strong words for President Caslin, and I was like, I said some things. And my mom was like, you can't say that about the president of the university. And I was like, mom, trying to be entertaining here and trying to give my opinion and be honest and things like that. So fast forward to Christmas. This is actually Christmas Eve. My girlfriend's dad is an employee of the university. He used to be the dean of a satellite campus. He's now the dean of another satellite campus. He's like, you know, I mean, a dean. So he's, I guess he he knows Bobby. They talk, they email, whatever. Are you about and, to get him in trouble for telling this story? Well, no, and that's why I'm, I'm being discreet because I don't I don't want anyone to be able to discern the identity of either of those people. But uh, President Caslin got, you know, uh, his employees, I guess at a certain level, Christmas presents, got some mulled wine for my girlfriend's dad. Nice bottle of mulled wine. I love mulled wine. Um, do you like mulled wine? Never had mulled Never. wine. Uh, that it's just, sounds... It's like, it's like a... Is that bad it, wine? it needs a new name, I feel. <laughs> yeah. How about just old wine? Because that would be good. <laughs> mulled. M-U-L-L-E-D. But it's like it's like mold. I thought you said mold. No, mold. You did an O sound. Mold wine. It's you serve it in the wintertime, and it's got like a bunch of traditional kind of Christmassy spices, like cinnamon and clove and allspice and you know nutmeg and things like that. And it's wine, so it's sort of it's sort of like wine meets cider. That was very um, thoughtful of him. Did he uh, do it himself? Like mash the grapes and ferment them? Uh, I'm I'm sure he must have. <laughs> um, now here's the part. I don't want to get my girlfriend's dad in trouble, but he doesn't like mold wine, and my girlfriend knew that I liked mold wine. So she was like, hey, do you want this? And I was like, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I was like, wait a second, where did this come from? And she was like, well, you know, President Caslin gave it to my dad. And I was like, this is great. My mom told me, you know, I have to be careful. The university might get mad at me. Bob Caslin might get mad at me. They might, you know, get me fired from the flagship station of the university because I'm saying bad things about the president. And then I'm sitting there like two weeks later with a Christmas present from the president. And, of course, I was like, hey, mom. You were wrong. President Caslin gave me a Christmas present, and obviously that was not the case. But I ended up with a Christmas present from President Caslin, uh, despite saying that he was an idiot like two months ago. <laughs> so I thought well, that how about was, that? I thought that was a sign from the universe to keep doing what I'm doing and to not uh, be discouraged. I, anyway, I thought that was funny. So I just wanted to share that story since you mentioned President Caslin. Thought it was funny. Wes has already heard it. I hope you enjoyed that. That was enjoyable. I I like the picture that he personally. You know how you see, you see the people, I can't remember where I saw it, but like literally they like put the grapes in a big bucket and they like yeah, step, step on, on them. them. Yeah. You step on them. I imagine him doing that. I like to think um, that he personally sent it to Pearson as a yeah, right. as a Christmas present to silence him. <laughs> yeah, it's got poison in it. <laughs> well, I, I didn't mean like literally to appease me. I meant like, you know, politically to be like Hey, like an olive branch. Yeah, like stop. Except call- a, a grape vine. Yeah, stop calling me an, an idiot. Branch. Chris has him committing murder. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that's where you were going. I wasn't yeah. saying that. President Caslin, I was not saying that. <laughs> but I will accept some wine as <laughs> as a gesture. Some as a mold wine. Or mold wine. Mold wine. Yeah, y'all should. Uh, I mean, it's still winter. Y'all, should, y'all should get some mold wine or make some mold wine. I've never like bought it before. I've never had it like pre pre made like that was. So I've just like done it myself. I'm intrigued but, by it now. Yeah, it's good. I mean, if y'all like cider, it's it's like spicy kind of Christmas wine. So I, don't, I think like potpourri, sort of potpourri flavor. Yeah, but I think I think you're not supposed to eat potpourri, right? You're not. That this would be stuff very stuff you put in a bathroom. Disgusting. Yeah, yeah. Don't eat that, even though it looks kind of tasty and definitely. Ah, we have good. gone off the rails. Okay, so uh, I want 
I don't know how to get back on track here. Yeah, we're we coaches, were talking about football. We were talking about how reasonable it is for all of these South Carolina assistants that have left to have left. It totally makes sense in each individual cases. In each individual case, it makes sense. Collectively, it still is a little bit of a head scratcher. The timing, I think, is troubling for people because it all happened at once. But I also think the timing makes sense because it's after signing day. You kind of finish your year of work, and before you go ahead and get started on the 2021 class and spring for the 2020 football season, you know, before all of these things, you go somewhere else. You know, so you can start that at Penn State or you can start, you know, preseason for the Rams or whatever. But are we thinking about it too much? Are we too much in the weeds and missing the forest for the trees? Is the, isn't this just bad that at the start of 2020, the only returning assistants from the 2019 season will be Bobby Bentley, Mike Peterson, Eric Wolford, and I guess T-Rob. Isn't that just bad? Even Kyle if Krantz. it makes sense for all those guys and to Kyle have left? And Kyle Krantz, yeah. I mean, well, some some of the... Some of that is by choice in that you had to bring in a new offensive coordinator. Um, and a new quarterback coach. Yeah, so I I mean, the jury is out on that question. I mean, they. I, I think there's a lot of talented – I think there were a lot of talented assistant coaches mm-hmm. on the staff for 2019, and they wouldn't be getting these jobs if they weren't. Right, but South Carolina also went four and eight. Yeah, so you need you need yeah. shakeup can be good or bad. Um, now I don't think it's ideal that two weeks from now you're going to have guys on the field coaching that may be learning the intricacies of your schemes and your terminology for the next fourteen days, and then trying to teach it to kids. Mm-hmm. Now, now you know a lot of Spring is uh, fundamental work and stuff like that. That's, you know, Tra- Tracy Rocker has been, in, I mean, he's going for the SEC record, I think, for SEC <laughs> stops um, in competition with Lance Thompson. But, it, you know, it's it's not ideal. But I, I think we're going to see, you see it, I think, nationally. If we looked, there's a lot of movement after signing day. And some people will look at it and say, well, you know, that that's BS that, they wait till signing day. But I, I think you bring up a good point. It's kind of, if, if you just up and leave two weeks before signing day, you kind of are leaving before your business is finished. Yeah, that's, that's kind of the end of your year. Like like yeah. Mark D'Antonio leaving the day before signing day and then Michigan State's top recruits, like, what the heck? I'm not going to Michigan State anymore. Yeah. I, that's, that's a disaster. So in, in some ways, I guess that is a, a, another signal that, for the most part, like this was... All of these guys kind of handled their business the right way. I just want to make sure that we're kind of giving a fair look at each side because, again, you can make very legitimate, reasonable cases for why all these guys are leaving, but it's just still hard to shake the feeling. It's like, wow, that's a lot of guys that are leaving. But yes, they're for better positions, but like, has Will Muschamp lost the locker room? Has he lost his coach's no, room? I don't think so. No, you got to ask the question in this case, though. You can ask it, but I think the answer it's fair is no. Okay, well, that's good. now, last year was not a good situation like with – I mean, there are a lot of upset players. I mean, and that's understandable. They went four and eight. You know, so it if you looked at it and nobody was upset, then we could probably start talking about a, a, big, a bigger problem. If nobody cares that you went four and eight, that's a huge problem. So there was a lot of upset people, and they held things together. But, you know, I, I just think 
it's ideal to have that stability if you're doing well and you can keep the band together, so to speak, then that's great. But if you have people that leave, um, is it are you replacing them with good coaches or better? And can you turn it around? And I think that's the whole thing. The timing, you know, may not be ideal for any of it, but but I think it's just all about you know where where do you go from there? And there, there's honestly never a great time to lose a yeah. coach, especially if they're a good coach. There's never, I mean, Thomas Brown leaving two months ago is a much worse deal for South Carolina yeah, than way know, worse than leaving now. So there's this is actually probably. Now, was it great timing as far as getting ready for spring and everybody leaving at once? Obviously not. But but as do far you as, finish off the Marshawn Lloyd recruitment? Maybe not. Do you? I mean, maybe still because he see, he just seems interested in like paving his own legacy at South Carolina. But that's more up in the air. Do you land Zaquandre White? You probably you know, don't maybe not. land him on yeah. signing day. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or you maybe don't. At least I don't want to yeah. say probably, but um, there's a chance you don't. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, with with Lloyd, you know, he went ahead, signed in December. He's already enrolled now. From everything I've heard, he's already. You know, yes, he. You feel bad for the kid, but he also knows that it's a, a business. And did he come to South Carolina um, predominantly because he wants to be coached? Was that a big part of it? I should say to be coached by Thomas Brown, absolutely. But at this point, he's living his life. He's moved in at South Carolina. He's settled in. He has his roommates. Um, by all, you know, indications, has been outstanding. By the way, in workouts, um, is one of your leaders. Um, he and Luke Doty are sort of your just natural leaders of this class that the, of the guys that are already in from just everything I've heard. What you were hoping for, what you were hoping, and kind of what you were expecting. So, um, you know, he's settled in. If if a guy, if a coach leaves and a recruit still like not moved in and hasn't like moved his whole life, you know, it, it's a little bit different. So, um, there, it's never an ideal time for any of this stuff. But I, you would still have to say I believe that Muschamp has has won the off season now, as far as reacting to everything that's happened since the end of the year um you know now at times it's felt like once he gets one situation figured out and handled and taken care of there's another fire to put out and um you know it it wasn't I mean Jordan Burch sends in his letter of intent and then it's what a day or two later yeah, because that was Thursday. And then you're dealing Saturday. with the John Scott Jr. fallout, which, which worth mentioning, uh, Mike Peterson, even though John Scott Jr. is the, quote, D-line coach, Mike Peterson has the edge, guys. Mike Peterson was the one who was recruiting Jordan Burks. There's not, like, a direct correlation. I'm just talking in terms of you finally get this deal done, and then you have this other deal to deal with, uh, you know, as far as guys leaving. So it's been one thing after another, and it feels like, to get back to what we were talking about at the beginning of the show, this is the offseason that just will not end as far as, like, settling in. At this time, but most of the time you're, like, starting to get ready for spring practice, and you're probably putting in your practice plan mm-hmm. and making sure everybody knows what their goals are for their position groups and um, stuff like that. For South Carolina, at this point, we don't, we don't know who the running backs coach is going to be. And, uh, you know, B- BMAC potentially leaving – actually affects a number of other positions if South Carolina chooses to go the route that we've heard is very possible, you know, of shuffling again and sort of rebalancing the offense and defensive coaches as far as a number of assistants on staff. Mm-hmm. It's not just a direct replacement if BMAC leaves. It affects all these position groups. So you 
you're kind of in limbo right now, I feel like. So a couple places I want to take that. First of all, I want to stick with the 2020 class because I think that's the I think that's an interesting element of this because it seemed like after signing day, and of course, because it is the offseason of 2020, it couldn't happen without drama. There was the delayed Jordan Birch letter of intent. Once that got resolved, Thursday afternoon and Friday, it seemed like a sigh of relief. And for me, just trying to sit back and, and look at the whole big picture of it, you're like, wow, Carolina went for an eight. You know, early signing day went pretty much exactly as planned. And it, and my feelings afterwards, and I said this on my local show, I said, this is important because not only did Carolina not take a step back, not only did they maintain what they thought they had in the 2020 class, but they actually won a head-to-head battle for Jordan Birch that puts them kind of ahead of schedule. And you never could have counted on that based on how the season went. So Carolina was doing better than staying afloat. And then there were some of those staff changes but up until this weekend, you're like, okay, losing Coleman Hutzler really stinks. He's a bright young mind. Obviously, he's well-regarded in, in the ranks of college football. But by and large, you feel like the other decisions that you've made on your staff are good. You know, bringing in a new strength and conditioning coach, how much of a difference does that make? I don't know. You at least have a new message, some new energy in the weight room. That's cool. You have Brian McClendon still on your staff despite demoting him. You bring in a guy in Mike Bobo that is well-respected, that has a ton of experience. Like, the offseason was going better than it ever should have for South Carolina after a 4-8 and eight season. And I thought that was a huge credit to Will Muschamp, like I said, for keeping everything afloat. Now, this doesn't totally flip the narrative, but this is the other side of that coin. This is where you start to see, okay, this is what like the, this is kind of more what we expected in terms of like instability and upheaval and influx. But crucially, at this point, it doesn't seem like it's going to have any effect on the players in the 2020 class that are going to have to come in, and a lot of them, or at least some of them, are going to have to contribute meaningfully right away to right the ship so that Will Muschamp even has a chance to get his hands on the 2021 guys. And hopefully that class goes as well as, as 2020 for South Carolina. But have y'all heard any indications? I don't think this is the case. I haven't heard anything. Have y'all heard, heard any indications that anyone in the 2020 class is upset that his position coach is gone and that they're looking to make any moves? No, I don't, I don't think anybody's looking to move. I mean, the one that people were worried about, well, people were worried about Jordan Birch just because of how that, thing went down and all that but I think everything's fine there again like Wes said you know the people most involved in Birch's recruitment were Mike Peterson Will Muschamp and Travaris Robinson and so all those people are still in place nothing has changed since the end of the season from the time he signed Um, people were worried about Marshawn Lloyd because he's a five-star he's a really needed player and Thomas Brown was really the crucial link there but uh, he understands I think Marshawn even put something on Twitter that you know, people didn't really know what it meant, but it probably related to, you know, doing what's best for your family and probably related to Brown. But just talking to some people about that, I think he's fine and he understands that that's sort of the nature of the business. So, uh, you know, and, and like you said, Pearson, I mean, Marshawn's a different cat. Um, I, I don't think that – I think it's unlikely he would have ever gone to South Carolina if Thomas Brown had not been hired because – I don't know if anybody else would have actually gotten him on campus for the first time and then back again and then back again and gotten him committed. But uh, now that he's in the fold, I think everything's good there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, you're right. that To have to have the recruiting class South, and I've talked to a bunch of people about this, to sign the class they did under the circumstances, some of them created by the staff, some of them not, is miraculous almost, you know, to, to sign – I mean, South Carolina hasn't signed two five-star prospects since 2002 in in a single class. They've only signed five this decade total, and that includes the two from this class. 
So to sign that class and some of the other guys, I mean, it's not even, you know, aside from Birch and Lloyd, is, uh, is really tremendous, in my opinion. Now it's about improving the product on the field next year and then trying to build on that. And I think the 2021 class is going to have some challenges uh, because now you're getting into a deal where the hot seat stuff is still going to be there. The in-state class, there's probably about three guys that South Carolina wants to sign from the state of South Carolina. you got some coaching changes. So there are a lot of questions. Not as much recruiting momentum for that class. Eric shared this with me on my local show on Monday because I was having a similar conversation with him about you know what it meant what the implications might be for guys in that class and he said I don't know if this is conventional wisdom so maybe y'all can enlighten me here I don't know if this is normally how coaches coach their players but Eric said don't make a decision on where you want to play college football based on your recruiter or an assistant coach or your position coach because there's a very very good chance that person won't be the same the entire time now that seems to conflict with what you, what y'all have told me and what I've heard from you know, other guys that have been in this business for a long time that arguably the most important part of a player's recruitment is the relationship with his coach. So how do you reconcile those things? Well, I think, and something I think South Carolina does a good job of, um, is team team recruiting. And, and what I mean by that is that you don't really have one guy, um, you know, re- recruiting a kid. Now, I, obviously, I mean, we, we talk about, elite recruiters and great recruiters and so it, it's it's a factor i mean mm-hmm. you're a salesman at that point and so it, it is a big part of the equation i think um i think what he's probably looking at it from a perspective is, is of a high school coach you know who has guys that are being recruited and you probably have to tell your kids hey you know everything he's telling you is good and well but uh, you got to be aware that guy may not be there for the three, four, or five years that, that you are. Um, and that's part of it. And, you know, I think a great recruiter is not going to just sell himself. He's going to sell all the other things about the university that will be, uh, you know, helpful to a kid and why he might want to go to that particular school. Um, but but back to my first point, which, like Jordan Birch, Will Muschamp, point man, very heavily involved. Um Mike Peterson, I still believe, hasn't gotten enough credit as far as his involvement with uh, landing Jordan Birch. Then you have the defense coordinator and T-Rob heavily involved as well. I think it's it doesn't have quite as big of an impact when you consider that the head coach has been so involved with every single kid that South Carolina landed in this class. Uh, I mean, you look, Luke Doty lost his recruiter and future position coach before he even signed, mm-hmm. and uh, Dan Warner, and never wavered for a split second. Now, that was partially, I believe, because Muschamp had sort of been involved in like sharing his vision with Luke and for Luke at South Carolina, and that went well beyond just um, being coached by Dan Warner. Now the other part of that is that I believe Luke was one of those guys that he did he did want to play for Dan Warner. He did like Dan Warner. Dan Warner did a great job recruiting him and building a relationship, but I think Luke Doty decided when he committed to South Carolina that he was committing to South Carolina. So he he did what, you know, Eric Kimry is talking about. He committed to the school. So I, I think every kid is different. Um some some kids don't have the guidance of someone to tell them, Hey, you need to look at the complete picture. And uh, and it's got to suck for kids, you know, across the country who think they're going to play for a guy, 
and then they get that reminder this is a business and realize that you know they're not so I don't know if I just answer your question at all. No, I mean it's a complicated issue, and, and yeah, I there's think, a lot I think of that's layers. As close as you can get to, I guess, putting a bow on it, and it's different for every kid, which is the tough yeah. part, and different for every coach, um, different for all those relationships. But I mean, I guess at the end of the day, the important part is Carolina has kept that intact. No one's immediately looking to transfer, and I guess if you're not now, then you're probably not going to. Yeah, and and you know, at least for that reason, some some sometimes a guy just falls in love. With a school in general, something about the vibe of the place. Oh, this is I'm comfortable here. This is where I want to go. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it is, what eighty percent because of a particular coach, and then you know it, it's a problem if that coach leaves. Yeah. But that's that's probably if if a kid has the proper guidance to the recruiting process, that's probably not the reason that you should pick a school is just simply to be coached by yeah. a particular guy. Or the reality, like you were talking about, uh, I think it was you, Chris, talking about with Lloyd. You know, maybe Carolina doesn't get him on campus the first time. And yes, he had that relationship with Thomas Brown that is the only reason Carolina was in the conversation. But once he got on South, once he got onto campus and once he got to South Carolina, it seems like he's embraced it completely. He really is yeah. intrigued by the opportunity to build his own legend here. He seems to like the school. He seems to like his teammates, the other guys in the class with him. So, I mean, a lot of it's like the relationship is important, but the relationship is important as sort of a gateway to a relationship with the rest of the team and with the school. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's, you know, Marshawn was an interesting guy because, again, I, I still think it's tough to envision him having as much interest in South Carolina without Thomas Brown. I mean, he, this was not a guy that was giving South Carolina a sniff before Thomas Brown was on staff, right? He had some helpful connections there. Got him on campus. Once he got him on campus for that first time, you know, I, Wes, you probably remember when I called you. I was like, man, I'm I'm hearing that you know, South Carolina and Georgia are like the front runners for Marshawn. Mm-hmm. We were both sitting there going, I don't know if I believe that. You know, j- just because it was sort of like, wow. But then he came back again, you know, and you said, okay. And then he, even when he committed, it was a surprise to everybody. And they held on to him. And um, But he was just a guy that wanted to carve out a different path. He wasn't interested in going and being the next guy at Georgia or Penn State or wherever. He wanted to sort of, you know, he's a guy from Delaware, small state, small town, um, chip on his shoulder type guy, wonderful kid, and um, he just sort of wanted to do his own thing. And and so that, if you get guys like that who are really talented, that's the ticket if you're South Carolina and you're trying to build because this happened back in, you know, say in 2009 with Stephon Gilmore. You find an elite talent who wants to maybe carve out his own path, who's not as concerned about, okay, how many trophies do you have again now? Mm-hmm. You know, not that there's anything wrong with that because – you hope that South Carolina gets to that point because then it becomes a much easier sell with your program. Um, but it's about getting some guys like that and then trying to build on it. South Carolina built it up and didn't quite get there, and then it fell off. And so now you got to try to build it up again. And, and guys like Marshawn Lloyd, Jordan Birch, some of the other guys in this class are key to that effort. And the other guys that are going to be tasked with doing it, I guess some remain to be seen, but South Carolina does have a couple of guys already in place for, I guess, as as many as four staff changes that will have happened in the course of about a week pending Brian McClendon's going to the Steelers. But Carolina's already... Not sure if it'll happen. Right. That's why I said pending. Yeah. Um, he had an interview... Should at, know at the end of the week. Right. I think the interview, his interview was Monday, Monday or Tuesday. Reportedly. Yeah, Monday. And obviously <laughs> yeah. a lot of other people are being considered for the position. Jericho Cotri is a name that I've heard uh, floated out there. So, like I said, as many as four for South Carolina. And it, it seems like if that is the case that he leaves, Joe Cox 
Chris, you mentioned this on my local show yesterday, so I'm, I'm stealing your nugget. But uh, it seems like Joe Cox, who did coach wide receivers for Colorado State, would bump back out there, leaving Bobby Bentley to coach tight ends. Obviously, South Carolina is still looking for a running back coach. And then, as you mentioned earlier, West South Carolina would move in the direction of hiring another linebacker coach to fill that 10th assistant role. Um, so we'll put that one aside because that's not set in stone yet. We'll probably be able to talk about that this time next week. But South Carolina has officially replaced their defensive line coach. They're bringing in Tracy Rocker, who, as you mentioned, is making not quite his, officially, but they have. Yeah, they, they uh, I guess haven't put pen to paper, but they yes. have both agreed in principle. Is that <laughs> can I say it like that? Uh, that sounds very professional. I know, right? <laughs> I got I got all the I got all the phrases today. Yeah, John Rocker making his sixth stop in the SEC. John Tracy Rocker, <laughs> man, now oh, that John, would be interesting. Y'all remember John Rocker though? The Braves that dude was closer. Uh, Absolute do not head. do not edit this out. No, yeah. I, I will not. I will not. Um, clearly, uh, grew up a Braves fan. Yes. He was uh, pitchers a, and a catchers polarizing figure. Today, by the way, oh yeah, that's right. Polarizing <laughs> figure is a good. That's good yeah. Way to put it, yeah. Like some of the stuff that he said was like horrible then in like 1999 when you could say almost anything. When you could say <laughs> almost anything, I cannot imagine what would happen if John Mar- John Rocker were in today's MLB. It's he would not be there very long. He would not. No, I mean, like, seriously, I, like, I, I say this, like, kind of in jest because he was funny because he's just, like, your typical, like, hothead, like, middle reliever took way too many steroids and was throwing, like, 130 and then would just, like, attack people. He was the original 100-mile-an-hour lefty, too, I feel yeah. like. Oh, like, yeah. He was, I mean, he was great, but he was also a horrible person and, like, one of the most xenophobic, like, public figures I've ever heard of in my entire life, so... Um, it's probably good for South Carolina that John Rocker's not going to be their D-line coach, although maybe right. just as like a motivator. Like I feel like he nah. can get dudes fired up. Are you reading some of his quotes? <laughs> we can't no, read I, them on the podcast. Because I, I was about to say, where is John Rocker now? Probably just retired. No. Sitting on a stack of cash. Well, I mean, no, it's like... He had a nice career. A stack of cash. But it's sometimes, nice you know, guys just like fall off. I mean, just... Yeah, yeah. Or is he coaching somewhere? They do a bunch of crazy, crazy stuff, and... But apparently, John Rocker was on Survivor. <laughs> what? Yeah, I see that. Are you serious? Do y'all I watch Survivor? I, no, I, I used to. Like, yeah, I watched like 20 years ago. Seasons, like Rupert season. But um, <laughs> was, What season is Survivor? Like recently, like oh, wow. 2019. That's awesome. I kind of want to watch that season now. Have Did another Spoiler. Spoiler alert. No, if y'all no, haven't watched that season like, he, was, he finished 16th. Oh, jeez. The third he person eliminated. The voted off, yeah. <laughs> the funny thing is, the first sentence I read is, former Atlanta Braves pitcher, for lack of a better word, was a, and it's a word that Pearson would use on the podcast, Uh-oh. but that we would not, <laughs> but it's he like, beep. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, like that's the very, like that's their lead that's uh, awesome. in this article I'm reading. Yeah. But yeah, John Rocker. All right. Yeah. Sorry. We're going he was off. also, Sorry, yeah, he's, he's one not. more, because I've got on Wikipedia. Yeah. Good. Which is always accurate, by the way. Yeah, always. But he, uh, he was also in a movie. A horror comedy, <laughs> The Greenskeeper, and he played a murderous golf club. I, mean, I suppose that means golf course. Wikipedia is not accurate. Hmm. Murderous golf course groundskeeper. That was basically what he played for the Braves too. Yes, is that a Netflix he was a original? Murderous or? pitcher. I don't know. Well, Netflix two thousand two. Oh, well, yeah, might have been then. Might have been in Blockbuster at that time. Hollywood movies or Hollywood movies? Yeah, or mo- Hollywood movies. movies where the Buffalo Wild Wings is now on Garner's Ferry. That used to be a Hollywood movie. I used to go there all the time. That's right. It. it sure was. Yep. Yeah. TBT. So John Rocker. Is all right. Not, not the new D-line coach. For those of you that tuned in thinking we were ta- going to talk about Carolina football, not expecting to have a throwback to John Rocker, there you go. 
Happy Wednesday, or whenever you're listening to this. But Tracy Rocker is making his sixth stop at an SEC school, most recently at Tennessee, also Arkansas, Ole Miss. This is now South Carolina. I'm missing two. Auburn, where Auburn, he played, and, also yeah, in right. Georgia. In Georgia, mm-hmm. yep. So that's a lot. A guy that's very well regarded. I don't know about his recruiting prowess. I'll just ask you guys. But the one thing that I do, I guess I don't know this about him, but in reading up on him in the last couple of days, seems like he is as well thought of as a developer of talent as as anyone at that position. He is. And, and so that's the question we always get when, when a new coach is hired. It's always, well, how is he as a recruiter? How is he as a coach? So to sort of go back to when John Scott was hired, we got that question. And from what we had picked up just sort of, in the industry, you know, he was thought of as more of a developer than a recruiter. And some guys, you get the opposite, right? You know, he's more of a recruiter, not as much of a developer or a coach. So Rocker is going to fit, you know, more into that developer type of role. He's not going to be thought of as an elite recruiter, which that can change. We, we've seen guys in the past be billed as super elite recruiters, and then they get somewhere else, and, oh, now they're not anymore. And so some of that has to do with the logo. That helps, you know. Uh, we could all three go to Alabama and recruit and probably be pretty decent at it, you know. Um, maybe we wouldn't, but we would be decent at, at the very minimum. We maybe even be very good. So I think it just depends. <laughs> a lot of it depends on where you are. So, But Rocker Rocker has a really good resume. He's a guy that, that South Carolina, that Will Muschamp, looked at hiring back in 2015. You know, I, I told you yesterday, Pearson, that I went back and found one of our old reports from November 2015 and – um, mentioned three possible staff hires for Will Muschamp, and they are T-Rob, Bobby Bentley, and Tracy Rocker. You know, so he was a guy that's come up. The, the timing wasn't right then, and it is now. And so um, he's got NFL experience with the Tennessee Titans. He's got the five SEC stops now on his sixth and uh, has really typically squeezed a lot of production out of the guys wherever he is and did a really nice job with Tennessee this past year as well, a group that not wasn't a lot of expected out of that D-line group. Yeah, and I think the funny thing was back then, everybody was talking about those three names, that Brian McClendon was going to come in and, and be the receiver's coach, that Kurt Roper was going to be the offense coordinator, and like all those things came to pass except, you know, except for, for Tracy Rocker. So y'all, were just, um, y'all were just early. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, we can say we reported this uh, yes. <laughs> way back then. But no, the <laughs> thing I like about Tracy Rocker, um, like we talked about earlier, there are certain spots where I think you have to have guys that develop and defensive line South Carolina has talent at that position already they have young talent at that position and um, you want a guy that's going to be able to come in build a relationship and develop them you know on the field and off the field he's got that reputation I was looking um, I always think it's interesting when a guy leaves to see like the response Um, and a couple of his guys have hit the Twitter and uh, talked about playing for him Uh, this is from Greg Emerson uh, and he posted a picture of the two of them together. He says, through all the ups and downs, you never gave up on me, and I thank you for the many talks of wisdom you put into me, and thank you for not only teaching me how to be the best football player possible, but how to become a young man. Thank you for everything, Coach Rock. So, you know, I, I think when you when you look at South Carolina's recruiting structure, um, it's really not so much about having a defensive line coach that's going to be a 35-year-old go-getter that's going to put you know, thousands of hours into, you know, the recruiting trail. At that position, first of all, you always have D-line talent in the Carolinas for whatever reason, North Carolina and South Carolina. Good food. 
Yeah, I guess so. There's there's always defensive line talent in these two states. You have a head coach who is very, very recruiting-oriented, and if it's a top, top guy, is going to be your lead recruiter anyway. So I think it's much more important for you to have a guy with a resume, you know, has SEC background, NFL background, has guys you can point to he's developed, and, you know, pointing to that tweet right there that has built actual relationships, not just business like salesman type relationships, actual relationships with their kids, um, then you recruit to that as opposed to him just being, you know, you know, a guy that goes out and and signs a bunch of five stars yeah. himself, but then can't do anything with them because there's I, talent there. I mean, one of the other interesting conversations when you're talking about a position coach leaving is, okay, how do you measure the impact of this guy? Because Carolina, I think their defensive line was their most consistent unit all year last year, and it probably wasn't close. And you say there are a lot of talented guys on there. Obviously, Javon Kinlaw's a top ten pick. That certainly helps. But how much of that is credit to John Scott? And and you know you find out when when Carolina lost Brad Lawing and Deke Adams came in. You, you I mean you saw an immediate drop off in production. I'm not necessarily adding him, but there's some guys that are just better. Guys are better than other guys. There's there's mm-hmm. no other way around it. So it's hard to measure. And obviously, this year will be an interesting test. Um, but also, you know, for Rocker, to your point about developing, he's is he's still got a talented group. It's a nice mix of like still youngish guys that have experience. JJ Anikbare, Rick Sandage, uh, you know, Keir Thomas, obviously a lot of experience. Um, and then obviously the young guys coming in. You got Zach Pickens. Yeah, 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 Zach yeah. Pickens who got, you know, <laughs> reps, reps last year. He played, mm-hmm. you know, 12 snaps a game and eight games, something like that. So he's got a little bit of experience and a lot of talent coming back, obviously bringing back or bringing in Birch and Huntley. Um, I remember, People seem to be super high on Joseph Anderson coming in, and I, I, maybe he was just like a year away kind of guy needed to get in the program. Like you have a lot of guys there. There's a lot to work with, so it's not like he's coming into a bare cupboard. So I don't know if we'll necessarily be able to measure the impact of John Scott as a position coach versus Tracy Rocker. But the reality is Carolina's got a lot of D line talent, um, and I think it should be expected to be probably not as good because you don't have a Javon Kinlaw. But I don't think you should necessarily expect a drop off from that group, especially bringing in a developer like that. Yeah, and I, you know, I think again worth pointing out that Peterson, you know, has sort of uh, been in charge of developing the edge guys yeah. as well. So, um, and I think he's done a great job with that. I, I was trying to find, I put together, and I can't find it off the bat, but I counted how many four or five star guys South Carolina will have to work with on the defensive line by rivals rankings. I think it was like. Ten dudes? Does that make sense? I mean, that sounds crazy. Um, Ten four- and five-star guys? We have Birch, you have Huntley, you have Pickens, Sandage? Sandage. Sandage, you'd have Anderson, Anderson, Anigbari, Aaron Sterling. Aaron Sterling was four? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I forgot he's back. He had a really nice year. Yeah, he did. There's seven right there. Um, Damn. Rod Fitton got, I think he ended up as a high three-star instead of a four. We'll look look at 24-7. Make the case for us. <laughs> Whoever we'll do like uh, some people do, and they say whichever is higher. has their favorite schools. Oh, yeah, higher is the most accurate. Yep, and not yeah, just definitely. yeah, yeah. There you go. Yeah, um, but yeah. Point being, there there is a nice mix of talent. Um, you obviously, I think you want to see like Rick Sandage and Zach Pickens make that like big leap mm-hmm. um, from sophomore to junior for Sandage, and from freshman to sophomore for for Zach Pickens, but. You know, I think there's a good chance of that happening. This line, probably, well, not even probably. There's not going to be that just Javon Kinlaw in the middle, more than likely. But I think as far as 
across the board and depth. I I'm curious to see what happens at the buck position. Um but but I, I still personally, even though he's two hundred and seventy five pounds, I'm wondering if Jordan Birch just doesn't start out at Buck and you just turn him mm. loose there and see if he can't push because Enigbari and Sterling both did a nice job at that sort of opposite defensive end right. spot. Right. I feel like Sterling would be a fit because he is a little bit smaller and so yeah. you can trust him in space a little bit more like you yeah. could with Wanham, but he you're right, he was so good on the other side of the line. Yeah. I feel like you don't want to mess with that. But I, I think it I think it is fair. I mean, now we're getting into like more of a season preview than <laughs> anything, but I, I think it's fair even if it's not as dominant because you don't have that one guy. I think the defensive line should be expected to be similarly productive to last year. That's not ridiculous. So agree. And there's uh, some depth, which is always nice. Yeah. Depth is good. So that's Tracy Rocker. Other new assistant that is official for South Carolina. Well, I guess not assistant, not an on the field assistant, but an important role. Apparently Matt Lindsay's replacement, Drew Hughes also coming over from Tennessee. What is that role? So, I mean, the player, the director of player personnel, I mean, it can be titled different things at different schools. And obviously there can be some different things. I mean, the, the way that Will Muschamp is going to structure his recruiting office is going to be similar, and a lot of people do it like this. I mean, it's going to be sort of based on the Saban model, right? I mean, with, with some twist or whatever. Um, but basically the, the player or the director of, of player personnel is going to sort of just set the standard for the recruiting office. He's going to be over the recruiting office. And so Matt Lindsay and, and now Drew and Jessica Jackson, who's the director of on-campus recruiting, she has sort of her sub-staff, Matt, and now Drew will have sort of his sub-staff. He's got some assistants under him. Then you get down to the student level. So it's going to be everything from um, administration of the camps, where you've got thousands of kids literally coming through for 10 camps in the summer, it's going to be working on setting visits. It's going to be setting travel and a schedule for assistance during the evaluation period, during the contact period. It's going to be working with compliance on logging coach visits and calls. Um, another big part of it is just simply, you know, for a guy like Matt or like Drew, they like being involved in, you know, just breaking down. You got to break down tape. Um, you got to find guys, and there's a lot of different avenues to do that, whether it's scouting services like an XOS, for example, um, looking at rivals and other Internet sources, um, and it basically going from there of just casting as wide a net as you can, finding guys, getting film cut, uh, and then getting pertinent film to coaches, getting it in front of Will Muschamp and assistants to watch because that's going to help you figure out who we're going to offer. Who are we going to target? Resetting the recruiting board. So there's so many different things, you know, that go into the job. And obviously you have a staff that, you know, helps you do those things. So uh, the personnel director is going to be in charge of all those aspects. But for Matt and, and for Drew, from my understanding, they're really, really involved in all those processes as well. Do we know if that's a good hire? I think so. Um you know, so Drew uh, also worked. He's got, you know, an Alabama background, which Matt Lindsay did. They worked together at Alabama and, and are friends from what I understand. Um, Drew worked for Will Muschamp for a year at Florida in 2014 and then stayed on for the Jim McElwain era. And, and Muschamp actually tried to hire him in 2017, I think it was. The job so is very similar to Tracy Rocker. In yeah, that. right. It's like full circle, yeah. sort of. Yeah, so, I mean, Muschamp tried to hire Drew. And he just he opted to stay at Florida. I think he maybe got a raise there and, and, and opted to stay. But um, the timing was right 
you know, he he moved over after McIlwain was let go to the Tennessee staff and now uh, back at South Carolina. But, yeah, I mean, from what I've heard, he's a guy that he's knowledgeable. He's got some ties to, you know, the state of Alabama, which I think you're going to see South Carolina hit Alabama harder, particularly in this recruiting cycle, uh, and is organized and is a guy that likes to grind and likes to watch tape. So um, I think so. I mean, he they work well together. There's familiarity, and so – those things can be helpful. All right, rank from five to one, the five best directors of player personnel in the country. It's no, clearly a tie between Drew Hughes and Matt Lindsay. Those are number one, one <laughs> A and one, one B. One A and one B. There you go. Yeah, and B and A are also equal. One <laughs> is not in front of the other. <laughs> no, but go. I mean, so, so it's very much behind the scenes. Yeah, job. yeah. No, but I'm I feel like it's an it. extension of your recruiting coordinator, right? Like, yeah, Carolina doesn't have a quote recruiting coordinator because Will Muschamp, but yeah. I feel like it's taking it's taking those responsibilities and sliding them off the field so that one of your quote on the field coaches isn't having to handle all the um administrative stuff. Administrative that's yeah, a paperwork. Exact word that I should have used. Yes. Because uh, all that stuff is important. And when you have coaches just dispersing all across their recruiting territories, you need somebody back at the home base who knows who is where and when, and to make sure every kid, like every high school, is getting seen by someone, whether it's by a position coach of a particular player or by a you know area recruiter of a particular area. And you have to make sure that you don't send, if you send three different coaches to the same spot, you you might inadvertently have a recruiting violation if you go yeah. too many times. You know, like there's logistically there's so many moving parts. You need a guy who has it all laid out. I feel like he's Q. Yes. Yeah. Bond fans. Bond. Yeah. Okay, Love cool. Bond. He's Q. All right. Actually, rank these three things. <laughs> South Carolina is looking for new running backs coach. These three guys. And number three, the least likely. Number one, the most likely person to assume that position for at least the 2020 season. Deuce Staley, Tommy Robinson, and Des Kitchings. What'd you say was least likely? Three. Okay, so Deuce would be three um, by a good distance. And then one would be Des Kitchings, and Tommy Robinson would be a close two behind him. So would you say that Carolina and Des Kitchings are on the five-yard line? Are they just in the red zone? What's are they up on the with 50 all these? <laughs> I'm just making this as complicated Metaphors as possible. Or, I mean, whatever you call and it. If they've already hired somebody when you're listening to this, just this is your point to fast forward about five minutes. Um, but most of everything else we talked about has been yeah, big picture evergreen. pertinent. Yeah. Um, we're recording this Wednesday morning. 10, 29, 10, and 29. 12, 13, 14 seconds. I would say as of last night, you would probably say that I wouldn't say South Carolina's inside the five with you know with with anyone as far as running backs. I, I think it's a little bit further back. I still think it could be either one of those guys. I think they both make a lot of sense for different reasons. Um, you know, when you asked earlier about obviously what it all means as far as the program and these guys leaving, I think one really big positive we can point out for South Carolina in the program is the quality of guys they've actually had interested in these positions. Um, you know, you directly affect Tennessee by taking, you know, their D-line coach and by taking their uh, director player personnel. Andrew Curry called um, well. 
Yes, exactly. And then, you know, you have guys who, you know, with Tommy Robinson and Des Kitchings have done an, a really good job with their position groups at their particular schools. Tommy Robinson's um, got a ring now. He's got a ring. I think from a perception standpoint, um, you would see why Tommy Robinson certainly makes a lot of sense. From a fit standpoint, you would certainly see Des Kitchings, the job he's done. We talk a lot about like the logo and how you recruit at an elite school versus recruiting at a not-so-elite school. The job he's done, I, I did, I've got a piece on Central right now where I broke down some of the guys he signed. Um, and then that turned around and produced as well. He had three straight 1,000-yard rushers at one point that were different players, um, all that he recruited. Um, Who was that, Zach Stacy, Naheem Hines? Zach Stacy was from Vandy, wasn't he? Yeah, wasn't he at Vandy? For um, a year, he was there. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about three straight at NC State. It was, okay. um, it was like recently. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I know him. If you want the, me to say him, yeah, go ahead. <laughs> They're uh, Matthew Days and then Reggie Gillespie. Yeah, and, and Naheem Hines. Yeah, yeah. um, All right, cool. But but I mean, you throw Zach Stacy in there because he was good too. Yeah, he was, oh, yeah, like, he was like, really good. Going back to before NC State, like he's he's had some good guys and yeah. he's done good things with them. Um, yeah. So, um, and I I look, you know, if you look at their recruiting classes since he's been there. At NC State, every year it seemed like, or almost every year, there's like a cluster of guys near the top that you say Des Kitchings, either via being the running backs coach or his area, um, landed. Uh, I believe their highest rated prospect in the time he was there, at least to rivals, is Kentavia Street, who was a Des Kitchens guy, NFL player, um, started opposite of Bradley Chubb, you know, there at NC State at defensive end, was a huge get for them. Uh, just four-star running back after four-star running back. And, um, you know, South Carolina has to break into the state of North Carolina. Mac Brown, he may be 84 years old. Slight exaggeration. but Not but, by much. But yeah, seriously, he's 83. He, he may, be, <laughs> he may be older, but the dude can recruit, and he's done a really good job. And that's the other thing. You're at NC State. You have Clemson trying to come into your state and take guys. You have Florida trying to come into your state and take guys. You have South Carolina trying to come into your state. And then you're not even the best brand in your state. North Carolina is. Even if it's a basketball school, North Carolina has brand name recognition in that state. So for him to land the guys he has, I think if you bumped that up to the SEC level and the relationships that Des Kitchings has in the state of North Carolina, there's a lot of reasons this would make sense. Um you know, is Des Kitchens going to be able to go land Marshawn Lloyd from Delaware? I, you know, I don't know. But is Des Kitchens going to keep your running back room stocked with, like, four-star quality and possibly higher players and, and have depth? The history tells us absolutely. The, to me, if you want to judge a coach as a recruiter, one of the first things I look at, does he keep his room stocked with with talent does he keep his room um in good shape and you look at what he did with running backs at nc state and the question or the answer is absolutely yes tommy robinson though at lsu coach darius geis he coached clyde edwards Hilaire, who i mean i don't know why it took people four months to figure out that he was the best running back in the sec because he was all season and people were like lsu doesn't have a good running game and i was like have you watched Clyde Edwards-Alaire? That dude, literally, I, I guess I shouldn't say literally because I have not seen an updated stat at the end of the season, but headed into the college football playoff, he broke over 50% of attempted tackles. 
pretty Over good. 50% of his attempted tackles for the whole season. Now, that has a lot to do with CEH just being a monster. But point is, Tommy Robinson has a similarly good track record, albeit in a shorter period of time. Um, I guess I guess a similar period of time in recent years. A lot of good running backs at LSU. A lot of good talent there. He probably deserves some credit. Some credit goes to the guys for just being good. Is Tommy Robinson a... Would would that be a markedly worse hire for South Carolina than Des Kitchings? I, I don't know that I'd say it'd be markedly worse. I think at this point it's about fit and sort of just trying to make a judgment on who fits your program better in the short term and in the long term for what you need. Um, because, you know, Tommy Robinson's got more experience overall. He's got maybe some bigger name brands attached to his resume. He's got LSU. He's got Southern Cal. He's got Texas. Um, he's been in the NFL and coached multiple positions. And he started his college coaching career in 1991. So, I mean, he's been around quite a while. Um, he doesn't have the recruiting rep um, of of Des Kitchings in terms of just being a guy who has gone to like a non-logo school and pulled some talent out that you go, wow, that's sort of impressive. Um but he also has a good resume, and my understanding is that he's a guy that, um, you know, is, is an impressive guy as well. You know, so uh, I, I wouldn't say it'd be markedly worse. I think if you come out in this situation and you lose Thomas Brown, which is a significant loss, a big loss in my opinion, I think we could all agree on that. Yeah, well, you know, who can you get? And I think if you could get either of those two guys any way you slice it, then you've done pretty well for, for yourself for a variety of reasons, for different reasons on each of them. Carolina starts spring practice two weeks from today, so they better figure this out in a hurry. And I think it is likely that we will have a final word on South Carolina's running back coach and a final word on Brian McClendon, whether or not he leaves, and then who that replacement ends up being for South Carolina by the time we talk this time next week. So we'll recap that, provided we have it, and of course give a little preview for South Carolina's spring practice because we at least know the players that are going to be there, and it's a lot of early enrollees. So excited to talk about that. Thank you all so much for listening. Don't forget to read Wes and Chris as they continue to work diligently and have great updates on GamecockCentral.com. GC Pod, if you're not and have never been a subscriber to Gamecock Central, that gets you 30 days for free. And this podcast is free. All you have to do is rate, review, subscribe, so you make sure you never miss an episode. And when you subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network, you get everything else that's going on. Y'all did a cool commit cast with Jordan Birch, or I guess about Jordan Birch last week. Right after Definitely he, not with him, yeah, unfortunately. <laughs> after he sent in his official letter of intent. <laughs> Jordan, uh, if you want to join us for... Yeah, episode. you're welcome. We'd just, love uh, to have you in. Just here. definitely listening right now, yeah. live <laughs> somehow. <laughs> He's just sitting He's right there, there in the corner. He's invisible. Uh, Colin Taylor and I have the hard foul twice a week. South Carolina's getting into the nitty gritty part of the season. Eight games left in SEC play. We're breaking down every game every Tuesday, Thursday. You can find Colin and me on the hard foul. That's all on the Gamecock Central podcast. Are y'all going to talk? So. I'm put you on the spot here. Yeah. Are y'all going to talk some like baseball too at some point? There's some baseball in the pipe. It's not going to be on the hard foul, though, because that's oh, yeah. a basketball-specific It'd be like specific the game. hard pitch. Or <laughs> the hard foul out. <laughs> the hard foul ball. Yeah. Foul ball. Um, foul out. Uh, some kind of John Rocker pun. Since there that's you the, go. Since that's the, oh, by the way, uh, quick addendum. If if uh, this bothered you that I said this earlier, you've probably already tweeted at me or commented in like the forum or something like that, but I said John Rocker had a nice career. He did not have a particularly nice career. He only played for like five years. I really? just remember him throwing. He had a nice season, didn't he? Yeah. Didn't he have one? Yeah, it was like, like dominant, dominant season. I just remember fueled. him throwing a baseball really, really hard, and that was very impressive to me as a <laughs> seven-year-old. Really good year. Yeah, so not a, not a nice career. I don't. What it, years it, did he play? Do you have that? Ninety-eight still? to two thousand three. Okay. Yeah. So hmm. I was, yeah, five to ten. 
I preferred Mark Woolers. Y'all remember him? Oh, Fireballer. yeah. Fireballer. Oh, yeah. You might have been a little, you might have been really young. The name sounds familiar. Yeah, if you walked in this room right now, I would not recognize him. Me neither, probably. Not at this point. Not, yeah, Wes, <laughs> Wes loves Bravos. Wes yeah. is going to start his own Just Talk About the Braves podcast on the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. It doesn't really fit with the brand, but eh. I know you need a forum to talk about the Braves. There's a lot of Braves fans in Game Jay Phillips yeah. would be That's very true. upset yeah, if there's Wes, a lot of, Wes a lot of crossover. Do you think that is the most common... I guess commonly supported professional sports team in any sport amongst the South Carolina fan base. Yes, I think so. Yeah, because a so lot too. of uh, a lot of fans in this area dislike the Panthers. Yeah, it's, it's like, like it's the like cool torn between do. Panthers, Falcons, and then like a little bit like for people that were older that'll pull for like the Redskins or the Cowboys yep. or the Steelers because they were on TV. Yeah, when they were growing up like my dad is a Cowboys fan. He's from here, but they were just on TV a lot, so that's kind of who he liked. Yeah, apparently that's like all that was on TV back in the day. I can't imagine. Why didn't people in the 80s just buy a Sunday ticket? I know. A bunch of noobs. Should have thought of that. Yeah. Uh, anyway, we'll be back next week. Colin Taylor and I will be back with another episode of The Hard Foul tomorrow. So rate, review, subscribe to the Gamecock Central Podcast Network. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you next week. That'll be up to y'all. My, my pre-workout is like some dates dipped in peanut butter. That's, that's a natural pre-workout. Just a bunch of sugar. I don't know if I've ever eaten a date by itself. Really? Yeah. Oh, I really like dates. Like, I like the taste of dates because yeah. the Lara bars I get mm-hmm. are just cashews and dates. Yeah, I got Lara bars in my uh, desk downstairs right Dude, now. I kill Lara bars. Yeah, me too. They're awesome. They're simple. I, yeah, well, and they don't have added sugar, which is yeah. nice, which I started eating them in January because I was trying to eat no added sugar. And I want to try to make them because they're so ex- well. I mean, they're not as expensive as RX bars, but I feel like I can yeah. make them for still a lot cheaper because they're still like more than a dollar a bar. Yeah. Um, I, I started buying them off Amazon getting them like more in bulk so it's yeah a bit cheaper. like 40 packs or something yeah but then they don't taste as good like they're oh, really? they taste almost still mm. a, a fresh water bar is like yeah really good um no, I just I was just thinking y'all should put that at the end. Sponsored by Laura Bar. Yeah. To, do we know anybody over there? <laughs> Laura Bar? I don't think so. <laughs> I don't so. know Laura at I, all. I feel like they're German because they have the umlauts over the A's. That's true. Yeah. It's like Lara Bar. <laughs> <laughs>